Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that you rule and you reign in the affairs of our lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his blood that cleansed us, that sanctified us, that made us holy. We thank you for not giving up on us. We thank you that you are ordering the events of our lives. And we thank you that we can never be disadvantaged. We pray that may Christ alone be exalted in our discussion this evening. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Wow, we thank God for the gift of life. We thank God for qualifying us to see another 24 hours. And we pray for grace that in these 24 hours, we would work the works of him who has sent us. Wow, it's this day. For night is coming. The night season of our lives is coming when no man will be able to work. So we ended our short series on the three classmates, and I believe that God has ministered something to you. There's no need to compare yourself. And I hope you are not interpreting that to mean that you should be lackadaisical and have a laissez-faire attitude towards life. But it doesn't mean that you should be able to be relaxed. Anxiety is eating us up. Fear is eating us up. And the cause of fear is ignorance. Because we don't know what the future holds, that's why we are afraid. But the Bible has already given us what the future holds for us. Therefore, there is no need to be afraid. Tonight, we are starting on a new series. And it's a new season for us too. By God's grace, we have done 52 weeks. Or we have done 52 episodes. It's been exactly a year. We started this journey of renewing our mind through the word of God. Having chats with God through the pages of scripture by the Holy Spirit. And we are believing God that he will grant us, he will continually multiply his grace, his wisdom, his resources, that he will go another one year and beyond. So for this new season, and for this new year, I think it's a new year for us. <laughs> Our first series we'll be doing is titled Rightly Dividing. We started with who told you, that's how to hear from God. In this new year, we are starting with Rightly Divided. And I'm sure from the title, you know where our scripture is coming from. But let me just give you a brief, a brief background. We are just looking at certain things to know about the Bible. Because many of us have been robbed of the sweetness in the Bible because we don't seem to understand it. We don't seem to be able to make head and tail in the scriptures. We just seem to be reading words. And we don't... It's like when people read the same scripture, they are able to make a lot of deductions, a lot of revelation, a lot of insights. But we read the same passage and it's like we are pouring, it's like God is pouring water on stone. So this episode or this series is about going to be about five or six weeks. We are really going to look, we are going to peruse the Bible. We will look at the Old Testament, how to understand the Old Testament. We look at the New Testament. We will look at translations. We will look at culture setting in the Bible. We look at all these things. So for tonight, we'll just be doing a little bit of history, how the Bible was put together. How did we come out with the six, six books? 
And I know history, if you're not a student of history, can be a little bit boring. So I will try and make it, <laughs> I'll not give too much detail, but just let us appreciate how come we had our 66 books or the canonization of the Bible. I won't go into details, but I'll give something briefly. So let's start. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. That's our anchor scripture. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. And there is a scripture that most of us have memorized or are aware of. Steady to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Hmm. Is it just reading the scripture alone? There's so much to say just from the scripture, but I know some of us, when we read it, we don't really see much in it. But for the purpose of our study, I'll just try and be disciplined and just go straight to the point. Paul is telling Timothy that we have been approved by God. But he's not steady to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. And remember, we have done Ephesians 2, verse 10. We are God's workmanship. Some other verses, we are God's workman. So Paul is that we are a workman who has been approved by God, but steady, so that you won't put this God to shame even though you have been approved in Christ Jesus, but study to show that you are a workman that God has approved. You are not a workman that God has not approved, but you are one that God has proved. And he's saying that rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what's very important. Because I'm sure by now you are aware that everything that has been done, every abomination, if I should say, that has been committed, People have scripture references to buttress why they are doing what they do, or they have backing from scriptures, if I should say, to do why they do what they do. So the issue is that it's not, or the issue with the word of God is that the information there is truth only when it is rightly divided. So it's like saying food or water. Water is life, food is life, or food gives life, it sustains life. But you can, food can also kill. That is why we have things like balanced diet. And we have certain situations that can occur. So let's say you're always eating too much carbohydrates, no protein in your food. You can tell what will happen to you. So it's not just about food, but it's about rightly dividing the food, if I should say. So the thing about the word of God is that it's only life when it is rightly divided. But there are so many veils in our hearts and in our lives. That sometimes make these things difficult for us to rightly divide. So we want to just learn through this series some few pointers on how to rightly divide the word of truth. And from the first episode we did, I mentioned three words. And who told you? I think the second episode, I mentioned the word logos, the word rhema, and the word graphene. These are all Greek words, which when translated to English means the word of God. So... Logos means the word of God. Rhema means the word of God. And Graphene means the word of God. So what's the difference? Rhema is talking about the word that God speaks to an individual concerning a particular situation at a particular time. So like, let's say God tells you that wake up and fast. That's a Rhema. That God is talking to you, Amma, or you, Kojo. And we have what we call the Logos, the total counsel of God. And that's also the word that is used for Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 1. That contains the whole counsel of God. So the whole counsel of God was the salvation of man. That is God's word for mankind. God's word for mankind that he loves us and he gave us Jesus as a demonstration. 
And we also have one we call the graphe, talking about the written word, that talks about the scripture. And technically, when we say the scripture, we are referring to the Old Testament, technically. But let me not jump ahead of myself. When we are doing the Old Testament, you get to realize this. But let's just talk about the Bible. The Bible is very important. I'm just imagine how our Christian lives would have been if not for the Bible. Just look at the blessings that this Bible has given unto us. And if you know a little bit about church history, there was a period in the life of the church that we call them when the church was in darkness for a period of thousand years. Thousand years. <laughs> not a hundred, not two hundred, not five hundred, not seven hundred, but thousand years of darkness. What was the darkness? It wasn't because the Holy Spirit was no moving per se, but it was because the scriptures were no made available to people. Because it's a long history, but a time came where the, the leaders of the church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, felt like the Bible was too sacred to be available for the common man. So they had to keep it among a group of people that had access to the Bible. Their intentions may be pure or may have been good, but you know, just as in every human society, with time, things begin to degrade and get worse. And before you realize it, the Bible was cut off from the normal people. So the only way people knew the information in the Bible was when those who were custodians of the Bible came to tell them. And one, the language in the Bible was at that time, I think it was in Latin. And it was only the elites or those who were having a particular standing in society that were able to even read the Bible. So you go to a time, it was what the church elders would come and tell the people that is truth. So that's how come we had things like people had to pay for the forgiveness of sins. So that's how dark the church was. So they, they will come and tell you that your brother who died is on his way to hell. But if you can give us maybe 10 pounds, you can buy that person's soul from death or from hell to heaven. And because there was no Bible for people to know if they were saying the truth, it was actually going on. And great men like Martin Luther, suffered from the consequences of not having the word of God. But thank God for people like him also who started something great. And when he had access to the Bible, when he read a scripture, Romans 5 verse 1, that was one of the scriptures that started the revolution of the church. And all this thing was because people were cut off from the Bible. So as I said, even in history, I'll be trying to make it a little bit practical so that we don't get bored. <laughs> now, the first thing I want us to really learn is that it's important to document the things that God is doing in your life. It's very important to document the things that God is doing in your life. Not that in future your diary or whatever will become, <laughs> will become Bible for someone. But can you imagine how our lives would have been if Moses did not heed to the instructions of God when he told him to document the journey of the people of Israel. All the book from Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy was the life of the or the journey of the Israelites right from Egypt. And imagine how we would have been robbed of the truth if Moses had not obeyed to write down their journeys. And that's why it's important for you as a believer not have a diary that every day you write, I woke up at five, I went to work at this, no. But there are some landmarks or there are some key moments in your life that you should learn to write down. So even God told Habakkuk that write the vision down, make it plain on tablets so that he that sees it will run with it. You can only run with what is written down because the written word gives you authority, it gives you assurance, and it gives you evidence.
to when somebody promises you something, you can take his word for it, but not as compared to as when the person writes it down. That is why no matter how in love two people are, they must still sign a certificate of marriage to show that <laughs> truly I'm married to you. Because you may be surprised that if we don't have marriage certificate, somebody will wake up someday and say, hey, I was never married to you. <laughs> so it's important that we document things. And it's important that people heed to the call of God when God told them to document some things. Imagine David didn't document his Psalms. Ah, our favorite Psalm 23. I wonder what we would have been quoting right now. So it's very important to write down things. I always tell people, I think I didn't share it here on the podcast, I think um, six things to pray for in the year 2021. I think I said it somewhere. At least at the end of the year, have maybe a one-day retreat, two-day retreat, three-day retreat, one-week retreat, but have that moment when you evaluate your year through the lenses of God. When you sit down and you take note of the events, you should note the day you started speaking in tongues. You should note your Holy Spirit baptism. You should note when you started manifesting in certain gates. You should note all these things down. And they are important. Not because they become scripture one day, but they are important for people to run with it, for you yourself to run with it. So the first thing, imagine the world without the Bible. But now let's go to the Bible. You know, the Bible, actually, the word Bible is from a French word. That means a library. That means a library. So the Bible is simply a library of 66 books. And I believe you know that. So when you put these 66 books together, then we get the Bible. And now it was, for the 66 books, I have about 40 artists. Because there are some books of the Bible that we are not certain. Or there is division as to who wrote those books. A very common one, especially in the New Testament, is the book of Hebrews. Some say it is poor because of the depth of revelation. Like the way the book of Hebrews is loaded, people are saying that it's only someone with the wisdom and the revelation of Paul that could write certain things. But some people said it's not Paul because of their style of writing. Everybody has a style of writing. Everybody has a particular choice of words. Everybody has a particular diction, a particular way it flows. And if you look at the book of Hebrews, it doesn't flow with that. And some people said that it was because Paul didn't want to write the way he normally used to write. But at that time, people were fighting against the words of Paul. And he knew that if when they start reading, they know it was Paul's writing, they need to read it. So he changed his diction just so that people will read. So he also said the same way that I became all things to all men so that he may win some. Some say it is Timothy, you know, those things are there. And for example, the book of I think first things and second things, the author is not really named, but there are about 40 authors that wrote the various books of the Bible. One interesting thing to note about the Bible that all these 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. And this is a very important truth, that these 66 books were written over a period of 1,500 years. And it's very important because it buttresses the validity of the Word of God. Unlike certain books like the Quran, from the best of my knowledge, I heard was Prophet Muhammad that went into a cave for a period in his life. Sat down one man <laughs> and wrote the whole Quran and brought it. <laughs> but it's interesting how 40 artists living in wide dispensations, wide areas, wide cultures can write these things down, and all of them would say one thing. And by the time we end this series, you know what that one thing is. 
And it's very fascinating because look at the way things have changed. For example, if you are in your late 20s or 30s, that was once somewhere in the 1990s, the um, late 1990s, just look at how different things were maybe in the year 2000 and how different things are in the year 2001. Just what, 20 years, look at the vast change that the world has gone through from how we communicate to internet, to travel, to how our lives have totally changed in a span of just 20 years. How much more a span of 1,500 years? So there is no way that these people met and connived and wrote down these things. You know, there are all sorts of wonderful theories, especially mostly in African settings, I don't believe that oh, the white man <laughs> sat down and wrote all these things for us and they're using the Bible to enslave us or to whatever reason. But if you just look at the structure of the Bible, it is impossible for one person to write this thing. And it's impossible that 40 different people living under extremely different conditions can be able to pen down one message. And no more, as I said, by the time we get to the end of our series, we'll appreciate how important this is. And now, primarily, the Old Testament was written in Arabic, most and the New Testament was written in Greek. So the Old Testament was mostly written in Aramaic and Hebrew. You know, the word Hebrew came from, I think, during the times of Abraham, when he crossed over, I think, River Jordan was the first Hebrew. I'm not really sure about that, the details, but I know Abraham, the father Abraham was called a Hebrew. And primarily, the New Testament was written in Greek. And this is very important. The Bible was not written in English. <laughs> and I think in our third episode, we look at Bible translation. It's very important for us to know this. The Bible was not written in English. And if you're a student of languages, you know how important languages and how important communication and words that we use are. But let me not jump ahead of myself. Just some few historic facts. And another thing for us to notice that initially, the collection of books were 80. There were 80 books that actually, in quotes, made up the Bible. But... As time went on, the books were reduced from 80 to about 73, then finally to 66. So there were actually 80 books that were first accepted. Then from 80 was reduced to 73, to reduced to 66. As I said, I don't want to bore you with a, with a lot of history, but things went into it and we just touched the surface of it. Now, primarily for the first five books, we don't have an issue with it because Moses as I said, heeded to the call of God and he jotted down everything. So Moses was the one who wrote Genesis 1 verse 1. And it's interesting, how did Moses know about Abraham? Hey, how did Moses know about even Abraham? How did Moses know about Adam and Eve and the creation story and all those things? Wow. So there was a period in time where God sucks Moses down. I said, Moses, let's get writing. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and then Moses was just writing. And for the first five books, there were no issues because Moses did a wonderful job and they were available in the school. So there was no big deal. And you know, the, 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 the journey of the Israelites went through a lot of um, um, battles and they were torn, they were slaves and all those things. The books were lost at a particular point and all those things. But it's generally believed that it was the um, Ezra and Nehemiah that actually um, collated the books, the, the books of Moses together when they were the priests of Israel. So the books were scattered and some, when they were 
sleeves in some nations. Some of the books went away, but I generally believe that it was Ezra and Nehemiah that restored the first five books. Now, the Old Testament was mainly gathered together by a bishop of Sardis. His name was Milito, Bishop Milito. It was around the time that Israel was destroyed in AD 70. Around AD 70, you know, Israel went to serious tribulation. The one Jesus prophesied about in Matthew 24, I think, when he said that no stone of this wonderful temple shall be upon each other. So after AD 70, Israel was really torn apart. So it was mostly the Bishop Milito who gathered and kept, or was part of the people that gathered and kept the various fragments of the books that made up the Old Testament. So in in the New Testament, when you see the word scripture, it's actually referring to the Old Testament. So for example, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus went to the temple and the school was given to him and he read from Isaiah, you also know the, um, the Enoch in Acts chapter, I think, 8, who went to Jerusalem to worship and on his way he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then Philip, the Holy Spirit told Philip to join this child. So those scriptures we were reading were actually portions of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, so whenever I see scripture in the New Testament, it's actually referring to the Old Testament. And for the Old Testament, there was not a lot of issues with it in the terms of approving it. Even though there were some books that were rejected, and I'll get to why those books were rejected. But as I said, it was Bishop Milito of Sardis, who was one of the people one of the key people that helped in gathering together these books that were separated during in AD 70. Now, for the New Testament, or particularly in the canonization of the Bible, there was one important person that cannot be left out, and that was the 20th bishop. And his name was um, Athanasius, or Athanasius of Alexandria. He was one person that cannot be take it out when we're talking about the canonization of scripture. And it was during his time as a bishop that there was a heresy that was really being, um, heresy simply means a false teaching, a teaching that doesn't acknowledge the lordship of Jesus, basically. And there was a false teaching that was really spreading around that time. And that was propagated by one man called um, Arius, I think so. Yeah. It was, it was called Arianism, so the Arianism doctrine. And it's a doctrine that disapproves the lordship of Jesus. Arius was simply saying that there is no way that Jesus can be God and man at the same time. So it disproved the fact that Jesus was actually God at the same time, he was man. And it was really a doctrine that was prevailing at that time. And Alec and Athanasius of Alexander was one of the key people that really fought this doctrine with all his life. In fact, he was exiled about five times from the church. Athanasius was really a stubborn person in church history. And it's interesting that sometime in his reign as bishop, he prophesied about the books that should make up scripture. You know, as the church started to grow from the first century Christians, and the first century Christians are referring to um, the 120 in the upper room, they are called the first century Christians. You know, as the church began to spread, the bishops or the church leaders thought it wise that there are so many doctrines that are going on. So we need to come up with a certain standard 
that everybody should subscribe to. That is generally accepted across the world. And that's how we have things like the Nancy Creed. So the Nancy Creed was simply a creed that they were using to fight against um, Arius when he said that Jesus was not Lord. So they came up and they asked, as the name tells you, the bishops met at a place called Nancy. I think that was the first church council meeting. No, the first church council meeting happened in the book of Acts. I think Acts chapter 14, when they were talking about, they were having issues against the law, whether it's right for them to sacrifice and to eat food given to idols and the rest. So that was actually the first church council. So you can go away. I think Acts chapter 14, and it happened in Jerusalem. So the elders met, then Peter gave a wonderful sermon and the rest. So the same thing happened in 19, where the bishops of that time met that we need to come up with a creed that every Christian subscribes to. And that I can have the Nancy Creed. So it was the first church council that was tackled without part, or their mission was to tackle um, the doctrine of Arianism, the doctrine that Christ was not divine, but Christ was just a human being. So it's similar to the Muslims, how the Muslims see God. They see God as a great, oh sorry, they see Jesus. They see him as a great prophet, one of the many prophets but they don't see him as God. And one of the things the Muslims use is that if you are claiming Jesus is God, how can he die? Because the Muslim knows very well that there is no way that God dies. So that's their issue. And they have so many other issues. So another same thing Arius came, and it's from this doctrine, or one of the, the effects of this doctrine gave birth or gave rise to other churches or other denominations in the Christian circle. Denominations like uh, Latter-day Saints, um, I forgot it. But there are those denominations, that's where they got their doctrine from, the doctrine of Arius. They believe in Arianism. But just to reduce the history, one of the things that the church council did, you know, as I said, um, Athanasius of Alexandria prophesied which scriptures or which books should be canonized or should be used in the making up of scripture. So remember I told that they were first 80. So how was the 80 reduced to 73, then finally to 66? So after Athanasius prophesied it, he was not really taken serious. But subsequently, after church council met, they intended to put down some, some rules that any book that does not fall into that um, category fully or wholly, 100%, should not be qualified to be part of the scripture. And the first criteria they used was that the book or the message in the book should clearly exalt Christ. That when you read any portion of the book, you can clearly see it exalting Christ. And no book or no portion of that book should in any way challenge the deity and the humanity of Christ. That's how come books like the book of Hebrews even though we don't know the author or even though the author was not known, when you look at the content of the book, you cannot deny that this book is, in fact, the whole book of Hebrews is one of the most clearest books about Christ. It talked about one in chapter one, how Christ is superior to angels, how Christ is superior to Moses, how Christ is superior to the law, how Christ is our high priest, how Christ, so the whole book of Hebrews is about Christ and the whole book, as I said, from Genesis to Revelation, every portion of the book should talk about Christ. So the first criteria they used 
was that they looked at the book. Any book that did not clearly exalt Christ was removed. So now the books were 80. Books were written. Almost all the people of old, people like Thomas, um, Bartholomew, they all wrote books, or it is believed that they all wrote books. Um, they are the, the other disciples and apostles, if I should say. Barnabas, Thomas, and all those, they all wrote books, and there are some books that are circulating the system that is believed to have been written by them. But why are those books not part of the scripture? One of them was that when they looked at the theme of the book, it did not clearly exalt Christ. That's one. The second thing which a lot of the books failed to pass was that the book should not mix truth with fantasy or what we call science fiction, if we are talking about it in modern eras. The book should not contain anything about fantasy. And this was one criteria that books like the book of Enoch failed to qualify. You know, people ask that, why is the book of Enoch not part of the scriptures? Even though Jude quoted from the book of Enoch, even with the book of Jude, Jude referred to what Enoch said about Enoch's prophecy, that he saw the Lord coming with thousands of things. So why are the books like Enoch did not make it into the six books. It was when they read the book of, of Enoch, they realized that the book was a mixture of truth and fantasy. And one of the things about fantasies was the, the emphasis of angels. We don't need to know angels' names. So if you read other books, um, I've forgotten the name of those books. Um, mostly, I think in the Catholic Bible, the names of the book have escaped me. But if you read the other books, I've forgotten the names. I'll get the names and tell you. You said those books emphasize a lot about um, about fantasies, if I should say. So if you were in a time of scripture, I think Jacob one asked an angel, what is your name? And the angel told him, actually, that is not what is important over here. The same thing with Joshua. When Joshua asked the angel, actually, who are you for? He said, that's no issue. I'm not on your side, neither am I on the enemy side. I am the captain of the Lord's host. So it's not about whose side I am on, it's about whose side you are on. So when they read some books, they read the books were a mixture of fantasies. They had things about how angels were doing these angels' names, like the books were laying emphasis on angels, not on Christ, his message, and his work for humanity. So most of the books did not pass this test. And one of the last things that were used to qualify a book to be part of the 66 books was who wrote the book, especially with the New Testament. As I said, with the Old Testament, there was not much debate or controversy around it. For example, the book of Moses, there was not much controversy around it. The book of the life of David, the book of those things, there were not much controversy around it. But when you go to the New Testament, because during that time, a lot of people were writing books. Thomas wrote books, wrote books, Barnabas, Andrews, they all wrote books. So why is that their books do not qualify? That's what we are looking at. So one of the things is that they looked at who wrote those books. And for the New Testament in particular, the person must be an apostle. And I mean the 12 apostles of Jesus that Jesus chose. Or the person should have been a direct student of an apostle. So what do I mean? For example, the book of Mark, it was written by somebody called John Mark. And why was the book of Mark accepted? One, because it clearly exhausts the work of Christ. And you know, if you read the book of Mark, it really focused on the miracles of Christ. 
two, the book of Mark did not contain fantasies mixed with truth. It was clearly truth. And the third thing was that even though John Mark was not a part of the 12 apostles, he was the direct, if I should say, school son or student of Peter. So it is believed that it was Peter who told John Mark the stories that John Mark documented. The same thing that happened to people like Silvanus, they wrote all these things. And before I forget, I've been using words like canonization. I know I didn't explain. A canon simply means a measure or a standard. So when we talk about the canonization of scripture, we are simply talking about the standard or the measure for which books were qualified to be part of the Bible. And I said one thing about heresy simply means heresy is simply a doctrine or a statement that disproves the lordship of Jesus. Get it? So these three things were clearly or were things that were given priority, particularly in choosing which books should make up the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. So any book that falls short of any of these standards was disqualified. But the main two criteria was one, does it exalt Jesus? Two, does it contain truth, pure truth, not diluted truth? Before who wrote it? Now, I remember one day I was there, a friend asked me that, why is that God was so particular about the Jews? It's as though at that time, the whole world did not exist. <laughs> well, that God was only focused on the Jews. And if you read the Bible, that's how it looks like. And the reason why God was focused on the Jews was not because he was biased, but because he needed a bloodline or he needed a root through which Jesus would come from. So why was God telling the people of old to kill people? You know, why issue that? Why was God telling them to kill the Midianites, the Philistines, the blah, blah, all the heights? One of the main reasons was that any nation that threatened the existence of the Jews were enemies of God. Not because God did not like them, but because God was looking for a channel through which he would come or through which Jesus would come from. So any nation that threatened the existence of Jews were nations that God told to kill. And why did God tell them? Because God needed a bloodline to come from. So God was protecting the bloodline or was protecting the Jews. That's why the book of Esther was needed. He just gave a historic background at a point in the time of the Jews. They were threatened. And we have a book like the book of Ruth. It gives us so all these books filling the gaps of how Jesus came from. So if you read, I think, Matthew 2 and Luke, it gives us that this began this and this began that. And this was the father of this. And remind me that maybe next week, I will give you a little bit revelation, if I should say. If you realize, the book of Matthew and Luke, they both started with a genealogy. But one started with the genealogy of the fathers, like Abraham, the father of this, this one, the father of that. But Luke did it with the sons. That was one. One of them focused on kings. Let me, let me not go ahead of myself. So let's just keep that over there. Hopefully, we step on it a bit more. So another piece of history is that um, Jerome, a man named Jerome, was the first to translate the compiled 66 books, which was called the Septuagint. And remember I said that first, the Bible was written only in Latin. So it was only the elite, uh, the people who were in the hierarchy of the church, that one had access to the Bible, and two, that could understand the scripture. So people like Jerome are critical in talking about the Bible because he was the first to translate the 66 books. Now that is about history. What is the message for tonight? 2 Peter 1, verse 20. It says that, know this. Peter is talking to us. Know this, 
that no prophecy of scripture is of private interpretation. Verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, why did I bore you with that history? It was just for us to appreciate the fact that it was not one man or was not a group of people that sat down and wanted to manipulate a group of people or wanted to enslave a group of people and they conjured some books together. Now, as we begin to delve into the scripture, you'll be marveled at the wisdom in all these books and how they all fit together to paint one picture. But one thing I want us to note is that God used holy men to write the scripture. You see that for the prophecy came not of old. Now, emphasis on the Old Testament, not by the will of men. It was not man that conjured these six, the six books. It was not man that influenced these six, the six books. It was not an idea that was initiated by a man. The Bible is a God idea. It's not a man idea. This is very important because many people look at the Bible as one of the many books of history. And all other books are agendas of men. I think that were inspired by the will of man, or I think that were birthed forth by the initiation of man. But Peter is telling us that these things that we have, or this book that we have, did not come to us by the will of man. It was not Moses' idea to write down the books. It was not David's idea to write down his life. It was not Joseph's idea or whoever's idea to write down these things, but it was an idea of God. And he says, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what I want you to take a note. That these men were inspired to write the scriptures. God did not dictate to them, but God inspired them. God moved them. And when by the time we get to our second episode, we will know why this is very important. So that means that when God was telling Moses, God did not sit Moses down and say, in, and Moses write in, there, then the beginning, beginning was no. When God was telling David to write, it was not as if God told David, right, in the morning I woke up at three o'clock. No, but God inspired them. So what happened? God told them that write about David and Goliath. But God did not dictate the words for them to use. God did not dictate the words for them to use, but God just inspired them to document the occurrences of their life. So imagine now, God tells me that write about your Holy Spirit baptism encounter. It is not the words that are coming from God, no. But one, the inspiration is coming from God, meaning that the idea to write it down is coming from God. And two, the words and the way I will choose to express it, it is my own idea. It's not God who is telling me I should write that I went for a prayer meeting at three o'clock. No, God is telling you that write it, write the story. And obviously, the way you write these things is influenced by the person's personality. So the way a doctor would write in something, would write a story, due to his training as a doctor would be different from the way a farmer would write it would be different from the way a politician would write that is why even in the preaching of the gospel we are all preaching the same message but each and every one of us has a uniqueness in preaching has a uniqueness in communication has a uniqueness in expression 
It doesn't mean we are saying different things. It doesn't mean we are contradicting. It doesn't mean that it is not from God. He said, but holy men spoke as they were moved by God. So the three things I want you to note in today's episode is that one, the Bible is a God idea. Two, God inspired these people. He said, write down this experience. Write down that experience, and particularly in the Gospels. You know, people have come up with so many fantastic theories that the Gospel contradicts itself. That the Gospel, the stories are not coherent. That's because we don't appreciate this truth. Because two people can be at a crime scene or can be at an incident, but these two people would, would narrate the same experiences differently. It doesn't mean one is lying. It just means that their personality, their level of education, their level of influence, their exposure is taking a play in the way they express these things. So if I'm a doctor and I want to explain a concept to somebody, obviously I'll use examples in the medical field. If you're a mathematician, you will use examples in the field of math and so on and so forth. And it's very important that we appreciate these things. The last thing, which is the most important one, I think, is that holy men were used. And holy simply means something that has been set apart, something that has been separated. Holiness doesn't necessarily mean sinlessness. Holiness is that thing that you do to your Christmas dress. You know, everybody has that shirt or that suit or that shoe that we keep for special occasions. So when maybe your auntie or your uncle buys you a new pair of suit or something, what do you do? You put it at the bottom of your suitcase or you put it at the corner of your wardrobe. What are you doing? You are separating that dress from the rest of the dresses. And by so doing, you are declaring that dress holy. And God is saying that holy men were used, men who were separated for the cause of God. What is God teaching us today? That God is willing to use people who have separated themselves for him. So in Timothy, he tells us, for in a great man's house are not just vessels of gold and of silver for honorable and non-honorable uses, but but a vessel that purges itself it's a vessel that will be used. God is not looking for vessels made up of gold. God is not looking for vessels made up of silver or clay or wood. But God is looking for purged vessels. Vessels that have separated themselves. That's what holiness means. So said, holiness unto the Lord. It means you have separated yourself for the Lord. So it is like mostly in the African setting. We have that plate or that spoon that only the father or the, ha- the man of the house uses. The children can use any other bowl or any other spoon, but this one is daddy's plate. This one is daddy's spoon. What have you done to that plate and that spoon? You have separated that plate and that spoon for a special use only by the man of the house. We all have that thing in our house where it's for visitors. We have cups that we give to visitors, plates that we use for visitors. What do you do when you separate those plates or those utensils from other ones? You are declaring those ones holy. You have set them apart. And the Bible is telling us that God is looking for people who are holy. And these people who have separated themselves, they are the ones that he used that is why the Bible is full of exposing the weaknesses of our heroes. You hardly take a history book. In fact, there is no history book that the writer exposes his weaknesses in an objective sense. Look at David. Look at Abraham. Look at Moses. All these men were, in quote, a bundle of weaknesses. And the Bible blatantly communicated our weaknesses without any reservation. But if you like, go and look at any other holy book and look at the way they project and they exalt their heroes. 
Even we honor Papa Abraham, we honor Papa David, we honor all these people. The Bible didn't hide their weaknesses. It's just letting us know that if God used Abraham, if God used Moses, if God used David, God can use you. You don't need to be a vessel of gold. You don't need to be a vessel of silver. You don't need to be a vessel of precious metals. All God needs from you is to be purged, is to be separated. Declare yourself that I am the use of the Lord. That's all. You are not to be used by Pharaoh. It's all about people who have purged themselves, who have made themselves available for God. To be available for God is to be unavailable for the world. This is one of the reasons why you should be careful of the music you listen to because your ears have been set apart for God. This is why you should be careful of the movies you watch because your eyes have been set apart for God. This is why you should be careful of the friends you engage yourself in because your life has been set apart from God. And this is what Paul was telling us, that your bodies are the temple of God. That means your body has been set apart for God. And God, how do you set yourself apart for God? Is by making yourself available. That is why Bible reading and prayer, it's key in the life of a Christian. Because whenever you spend time reading or praying, you are simply making yourself available. There are many friends we have had that we have called our best friends at some point in our life. Not because they were the best people that we met, but because at that point in time, they were the ones available for you. If you are going to a crisis or you are going to an unpleasant moment and you needed somebody to talk to, you called your best friend, he was not there. You called your sibling, he was not there. But that guy was there or but that lady was there and you developed that bond. I think I've said it on the podcast before, especially in our school days, the person who was your best friend in your primary school is hardly the person who is your best friend in your secondary school. And the same for the university. So what happened? It was because in your primary school days, it was Kofi was available for you. And when you go to the university, Kofi also went to another school and you went to another school. And when you got to this school, it was Kotu who was available. When you went to this school, it was this was available. So your best friend's are dependent on who is available for you at the season of life. And all that God is requiring for us is our availability to God. But unfortunately, some of us are only available when we are in need of help. When we need that job, that's the time we pray to God. That's the time we read our Bibles. That is why when we quote, God breaks our hearts, the first thing we do is to say, hey God, all the things I've done for you. Because in our minds, we are doing a business transaction with God. God, I'm paying tithes so that you would kill the devourer. That is religion, not a relationship. So this evening, even though we are talking about the history of the Bible, our word for you is that God is looking for a page to listen. You might tell yourself, I don't have the oratory abilities of so-so and so. I don't have the, 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 the leadership abilities of this of this person. I can't talk like this person. I can't sing like this person. I can't organize like this person. That was the same thing Moses was telling God, that I can't speak. I can't do this. But God is saying that you are the one available. Will you be available for God? God has been calling you, but always you are busy doing something else. That's why spending time with God every day in word and in prayer is one of the most important activities of the day because it's that period where you tell God, that God, I'm available. What's up for today? What's up for today? But most of us, we don't check up on God, if I should say. So we are always missing it. So Peter is telling us that these things were written 
not by the will of men, but holy men spoke as they were inspired by God. And that holy means separated men. God is looking for vessels to use, to move through. But you are busy chasing money. You are busy chasing fame. You are busy chasing blessings. You are busy chasing and making a name for ourselves. We want to spend some time in prayer. Father, we choose to be holy. We want to pray to God that from today, the day you are listening to this podcast, you want to be God's best friend. You want to be equal there for God. When God wants a vessel to move in your family, may you be available for God. When God wants a vessel to move in Amma's life, may you be that person who is available. When God wants a vessel to move in this person's life, may you be the one. When God calls you, is your number available or you are busy? When God calls you, is number busy or not unavailable? God has been calling us, but always we are out of coverage area because God is not in our thoughts. God is not in our hearts. All we are thinking about is how to make that money. All we are thinking about is how to get that lady. All we are thinking about is how to break into stardom. We don't have space for God in our hearts and in our minds. But God is calling out for people who have separated their hearts, who have separated their minds, who have separated their lives for God. Father, we pray for grace that will be available for you. That when you call, may we be there at your beck and call. May we be like waiters in a restaurant, standing waiting for your orders. When you want to do something in our vicinity, may you not pass us by. May we be those vessels that you use, Lord. May we be available for you. May we be those perfect vessels that you would inspire to be a blessing to generations. To be that workman, that masterpiece in our world. In the name of of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. God bless you so much for being with us. And we look, we meet God willing next week as we look at rightly dividing the word part two. See you next week. Remember to give God your best and to make sure the only thing we owe any man is love. Bye-bye.